Reading from Genesis chapter 39 today, and if you're using the church Bibles, that's on page 30. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them. This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Well, good day, everyone. Uh, Like I said before, my name is Scott. Really glad to be here with you this morning. I'm going to go and grab my clicker. Listen to these words. They're written by a man who lived in ancient times, but they describe the experience that many people still have today. Why, Lord, 
Do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, but I find no rest. Those words were penned by a man who lived in ancient times. His name is David. We don't know why he wrote them exactly. Maybe it was around the time when his king tried to have him killed. Maybe it was the time when his newborn baby died. Maybe it was when his eldest son betrayed him for political gain. We don't know. But it's clear, whatever it is, this man, David, he feels abandoned. Not just by people, but abandoned by his God. (coughs) By the one he should have been able to rely on. When the chips are down and life is spiralling out of control... He wants to know, God, where are you in this? Why aren't you here with me? Why have you left me alone? That is the question of an ancient man. And it's the question that many of us today still have. Life takes a wrong turn. And we want to cry out to God for help. And yet it can feel like God is just not there. Why have you abandoned me, God? If you're a Christian, chances are you've probably felt this at some point in your life. Or if you haven't yet, expect it to come. But maybe you're here today and and you're not actually into this whole God thing. And part of the reason for you is that God's never really been there for you. Life hasn't gone the way you wanted. Maybe, Maybe there's been a time when you did want God's help and you asked him, but they're nothing. God didn't come through. So even if there is a God out there, he's out there and he's not beside you. And you don't want a piece of a God like that. See, it doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian or not. This is a question that I think we all ask. Has God abandoned me? Today we're going to look at three stories. In each of these stories, Joseph's story, Jesus' story, and our own story, in each of these stories, we're going to ask the question, has God abandoned his people? Where is he? But before we go any further, let's pray and ask God for help. Let's pray. Our God, we realize that this is a big accusation to throw, that you might abandon us. And yet, so often, we cry out in similar thoughts to David. We feel like you are far off and not near. So we wanted to pray, our God, help us listen to your word. Help us hear what you have to say. And we pray that in doing that, we would trust you at what you tell us.
。Amen. We're starting off today looking at three stories. The first story is Joseph's story. We, we just read chapter 39 of Genesis, which talked about a bit of Joseph's story. In verse 1 there, we see that Joseph had arrived in Egypt. But he's not on some end of school, coming of age, backpackers trip around the world where he finds himself. No, no. Last week we heard that Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave. And now the slave traders have sold him on to an Egyptian government official. Life for Joseph is not roses and butterflies. And yet, Joseph's story is a story of blessing. Joseph brings blessing to his master. Because God's with Joseph. He gives Joseph success. And so Potiphar, Joseph's master, he keeps promoting Joseph up the slave ranks. And pretty soon, Joseph is in charge of everything. Everything that Potiphar owns, Joseph rules over, and everything gets blessed. Look at verse 5 with me. From the time he put him in charge of the household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. See what's going on here? God's blessing is coming to Potiphar's house because of Joseph. Joseph's story is one of blessing, but it's also one of temptation. Pick it up partway through verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. And said to him, come to bed with me. Joseph's being offered free, no strings attached sex. No doubt this is quite tempting for him. He's a slave in a foreign country. The prospects of him ever getting married are slim to none. And yet here it is, the offer of free sex. But he says no. And he keeps saying no. In verse 10, he refuses day after day. And when he gets cornered again by by her, he flees. Look at verse 11. One day Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. And she caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph flees from sexual temptation. He doesn't linger around, doesn't take any chances. He's out of there. And it's worth us, I think, just taking a bit of a sidetrack here. Let's talk about sex and sexual temptation just for a moment or two. Again, what does Joseph do when he's faced with sexual temptation? It's to flee. You know, that's exactly what the New Testament says to do as well. 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual temptation. We live in a world that's saturated with sex. Sex sells. It's the marketing strategy of so many companies. So much of the entertainment business glorifies any and every sexual relationship. Studies show us that the majority of teenagers experiment with sex before they leave high school. 
So in this kind of world, we need to keep asking ourselves, are we lingering around sexual temptation or are we fleeing? Let me just give you a couple of examples of what I mean. Uh, Sexual temptation can come in the form of, of daydreaming, of fantasy. What do you do when you find that your mind has drifted there? Do I linger around temptation? Do I just shrug my shoulders and say, oh, there's nothing I can do? Or do I flee? Do, do I get up, get out of the room, go outside, go for a walk, phone a friend, do whatever it takes to get away from temptation, to flee? Or what about with porn? When I find myself struggling with porn, what do I do? If I let temptation linger, I probably do nothing. I just hope that next time I, I don't go to that website. Hope for the best and do nothing. But if I'm going to flee sexual temptation, I get proactive. I put some filters on my computer, on my phone. I give a friend permission to check my work history. Whatever it takes, I have the internet turned off at my home. In fact, if I'm fleeing temptation, then I'll do this even if porn isn't a problem. I'll get some kind of software on my computer because I don't have a problem now, but maybe it'll help me down the track. It'll save me a lot of grief later on. Now, all this might sound a bit negative, so let me give you some of the positive too. Uh, How do I flee sexual temptation? If you're a married person, make sure you're investing in your spouse. Keep working at fostering a deep friendship with them. Connect with each other emotionally. Talk lots. Talk often. Enjoy one another sexually. Invest in your spouse because the more connected you are with one another, the less likely you are to indulge in sexual temptation, to linger around sexual temptation, the more likely you are to flee. And whether you're married or not, there's something even more important than being connected with your partner. And that is investing in your relationship with your God. Grow to know God more. Listen to what he says. Let yourself be vulnerable with him in prayer. Grow to love what God loves. Grow to treasure what God treasures. With Joseph, what was it? What was his final reason for fleeing sexual temptation? It was that he didn't want to commit wickedness against his God. Putting a a porn blocker on your phone will help. But it'll only get us so far. Because when our hearts are won over to God, when our hearts delight in God and in the things of God, that's when we just flee sexual temptation. That's when we have no desire to, to walk into sexual immorality anyway. So invest in God. It's pretty common when Christians talk about sexual ethics for people to find it a little bit silly, a bit outdated, perhaps repressive even. You know, if it doesn't hurt anyone, why do you get your knickers in such a knot about it? But that's just the thing, isn't it? Sin always hurts. Pornography damages your brain. Studies show this to be true. 
And not only that, porn damages and ruins the people within the industry. Things like sexual fantasy hurt ourselves as well. Uh, It breeds discontent and dissatisfaction with our life. And all that pours over into the way we relate to other people. Something as simple as flirting. Flirting, Flirting is on a path that can easily lead to genuine attraction. It can easily lead to something far more serious. And that hurts. Flirting is on the path that leads to broken marriages. Sin always damages, friends. Sexual sin always damages. So no matter how out of step we are with the people around us, let's flee. Don't linger, but flee sexual temptation. That's the end of the sidetrack. Back in Joseph's story. It's a story of blessing, a story of temptation, and it's also a story of a great miscarriage of justice. Potiphar's wife tries one more time to lure Potiphar in, but Joseph flees. However, as he flees out of there, he leaves his coat behind. He leaves his coat in her hands, and Potiphar's wife comes up with a story. And she tests it on her servants. Joseph, that man, he tried to force himself on me. And it works. They all believe her. After all, she's got the coat. That's the evidence. That's his coat. And so when her husband comes home, she tells him the same story. And it doesn't end well for Joseph. Verse 19. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. A few years ago, Pip and I watched a show called Making a Murderer. Anyone seen this show? Some? No? Hardly any? A couple? Uh, uh, it's a story about a man named Stephen Avery, that guy on the screen. Uh, he spent 18 years in prison for something that he didn't do. After 18 years, they found DNA evidence that proved he was innocent. So he gets out. He gets released. Four years later, he's charged with murder again. And the show focuses on this second time, the second crime. Did he really do it? Is this another miscarriage of justice? And as the show goes on, I got more and more convinced. I don't think he did it. I know I don't have all the facts in front of me, but what I do have makes me think, he's not guilty. How can this happen to the same guy all over again? You can't help but feel for him. And you can't help but feel for Joseph too. He's done nothing wrong here. In fact, the very thing he's been accused of doing is the thing that he didn't do. This is a horrible miscarriage of justice. So much of this story is repeating itself. Remember, uh, Joseph's cloak aroused the jealousy of his brothers and they sold him as a slave. Now Joseph's cloak gets him in trouble again. Against Joseph's will, his brothers took him and threw him into a pit. And again here, Potiphar takes Joseph and throws him into a pit, into a jail cell. Doesn't it make you wonder, where is God in all of this? 
Has God abandoned Joseph? What's he doing? The answer, clearly, is no. God has not abandoned Joseph. Joseph wasn't alone at the start of the chapter. Look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. And again, at the end of the chapter, with Joseph now in jail, we hear those same words repeated. The Lord was with him. Joseph's story is many things. It's a story of blessing, of temptation, a story of a miscarriage of justice. But it's also a story of the God who stays. The God who doesn't abandon, but through thick and thin, through ups and downs, God is with Joseph all the way. I want to show you a class photo that I'm in. This is when I was in year one. Can you pick where I am? There it is. Do you remember what it was like getting a class photo? The day comes and they get handed all around and you crack it open. And who's the first person you look for? Yourself, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Of course you do. That's often the way that we read the Old Testament too. I read a story and I try and look for myself in there. Where am I? Am I Joseph? Am I like Joseph? Have I got to remember that God's always with me? Or am I being warned to to not be like Potiphar's wife, to, to not lie? Or maybe I'm Potiphar. Maybe I have to be more discerning about who I trust. See, the problem with reading the Bible like this is we actually miss what the Bible's really about. Believe it or not, the Bible's not a story about me. First and foremost, the Bible is about Jesus. And so when I read this chapter about Joseph, I'm not looking for me in the story. I'm looking for what it tells me about Jesus. To understand what what this story of Joseph means for me, I first need to ask, what does it mean for Jesus? How does Jesus' story help me understand Joseph's story? At first glance, Jesus' story looks very similar to Joseph's story. Joseph's story was a story of blessing, and well, actually, Jesus' story is a story of blessing too. As Jesus walked around in his life, he taught, he helped, he healed many, he brought blessing. Joseph's story was about resisting temptation, and that's the same for Jesus. That's his story. When Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan tempts him again and again, Jesus resists temptation. And when Jesus faces temptation in the garden, again, he chose to do what God wanted him to do. Jesus' story is about temptation too. And Joseph's story is about a miscarriage of justice, and it's the same for Jesus. Jesus was betrayed by a friend. Jesus uh, was put up against a sham trial uh, set up by the Jewish leaders. The cowardly Roman ruler Pilate wouldn't stand up for justice, and so an innocent man is condemned... Jesus' story is also about a miscarriage of justice. And Joseph's story is about the God who stays with with him through thick and through thin. God never abandons him. And Jesus' story, actually, that's where Jesus' story and Joseph's story are a little different. 
in his deepest, darkest moment, God was with Joseph. What about when Jesus is in his deepest, darkest moment? When he hangs on the cross? What does Jesus say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is forsaken, abandoned by God. It's not that the Father and the Son have been somehow separated here, but Jesus is under the full anger of God. That seems pretty harsh on Jesus, doesn't it? After all, this is a guy who brought blessing to the world. This is a guy who resisted temptation and did what God wanted. Why does he take on God's anger? The answer actually lies in abandonment. But not that God had abandoned anyone, but that humanity, we, had abandoned God. That's the human story. We've been made by God, given all sorts of wonderful gifts by God, and we enjoy those gifts, but we don't want anything to do with the God who gives them to us. We walk away from God. We abandon him. Imagine how how this makes God feel. God's right sense of anger is aroused. And that's why Jesus dies. It was his intention. It was God's plan. Jesus dies as one who's forsaken under the full anger of God and he does it in our place. Because he does that for us, God offers us a promise that if we trust in Jesus and accept what Jesus has done, God actually promises us that he'll never abandon us. And that's the promise that God will not break because it's a promise that's been written in the blood of Jesus. So let's think about our own stories. What does this all mean for us? It means that if we take up God on his offer, if we accept Jesus, then our story will be one where God does not abandon us. Because of Jesus, God does not abandon us. I think there are three places your life story could be at right now. Three places. The first one is this. You might not have accepted Jesus yet. If that's you, really glad you're here today. I hope you've heard something about why Christians think so much of Jesus. He's our guarantee that God will not abandon us. Come what may, God will stay with us, will walk with us. Do you want that for yourself? Why not accept Jesus today? God promises that if you come to Jesus, he won't abandon you, ever. Do you want that? Do you want to take him up on that offer today? If you do, fantastic. Best decision you'll ever make in your life. Amen. <laughs> uh, come talk to me this morning or, 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 or talk to the person who you came with today. Uh, we'd love to help you make those first steps in a new part of your story. But that's the big thing to, for you today. If, if you haven't accepted Jesus yet, that's the thing to do. Accept Jesus. 
and know the truth now that God will never abandon you because of what Jesus has done. But secondly, there'll be many of us who are here and we have accepted Jesus. We love this promise that God won't abandon us. But really, for us, life just now is it's going along okay. I don't feel like God has abandoned me. Um, so really, is there anything in, in this for me today? Well, there is. Uh, you know, for God has told us he will never abandon us. And maybe we've heard that before. Maybe we'll hear it again. But this is such good news. This is news that changes everything. It's a reality that we can never grow tired of. So friends, if, if you're in this second boat today, praise God for Jesus. And get ready. Get ready for when the hard times come. Get ready for the crisis. Get ready for that moment when you will feel like God has abandoned you. That still comes as Christians. Get ready for it now. What do I mean by this? I think in times of crisis, Satan comes and he tells us lies. And in times of crisis, a couple of lies that Satan likes to tell are these. God's left you. God has abandoned you. What's the point of trying to live for him? Why bother trying to please him with your life? God's abandoned you. God's left you to do this alone. Why why worry about praying to him? Forget about God. Don't worry. Satan attacks our godliness and our prayers. Expect that to happen in the moment of crisis and prepare for that now by habitually praying, by building constant habits of prayer into your life. That way, when the crisis comes, you may not feel like praying, but it will be your norm, your pattern to pray, and you'll keep praying. Keep practicing now, keep working hard at struggling against sin, at at, at repenting of sin day after day. So that when the crisis comes and Satan tells you his lie, your norm, your habit, your practice will be to live a life of repentance. And when Satan's lies come, you'll resist it. Because it's your norm and your habit and your practice to be godly and to pray. That's the second group of people. The third group of people, there'll be some of us here who have accepted Jesus, and right now, today, we feel like we're in that crisis mode. Today, we're feeling that, that, that God has abandoned us, that he's not walking with us. What do we do? This will be hard. But keep praying. Keep practicing godliness. Don't abandon God. Don't give up on him. You might not feel like this, but the reality is, God's promise to you is that he has not abandoned you. He's with you, even if you don't feel like that's true. 
God has promised you that he, hasn't, that he will not abandon you. And that promise is written in the blood of Jesus. God will not abandon you. Have you ever heard of a poem called Footprints in the Sand? Some of you are nodding. I want to finish today by reading that to you. Here it is. One night, I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand and noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, My precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you along. Friends, our God will never abandon us. Let's pray and thank him. Our Father, our Lord and God, we praise you that during the ups and downs of Joseph's life, you didn't abandon him. And we praise you that you have promised to us that you will never abandon us. That come what may, whether it be through trial or persecution, through hardship and doubt, even in the point of death, you promise that your love for us in Christ will never end. Thank you for this, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he endured the forsakenness of being under your wrath so that we might never have to. Thank you, God, that Jesus that Jesus means that we can be sure of your promise to never abandon us. Father, those, for those of us who are going through times of crisis now, please help them cling on to that promise. Please help them not to walk away from you. For those of us who aren't feeling like that at the moment, thank you, Father. And please help us be ready for when times of trial and crisis come. And Father, for those of us who aren't really sure about Jesus yet, we pray today you'd be working in them so that they can begin today to trust in Jesus. We pray that their story would change today. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Saviour. Amen.